think anyone can can go on a restricted period of, of dieting and get into the best shape of their life. I think very few can actually keep it off because they re- they forget to realize that the point isn't to get in shape. The point is to figure out how to stay in shape. But to stay in shape, you have to rewire the identity of who you were. You're listening to the High Performance Health Podcast, helping you optimize your health, performance, and longevity. My name is Angela Foster, and I'm a former corporate lawyer and high performance health coach. Each week, I bring you cutting edge biohacks, inspiring insights, and high performance habits to unlock optimal health, performance, and longevity. So excited that you've chosen to join me today. Now let's dive in. Hi friends, as I record this podcast interview, I am on the beach in Sri Lanka and you may even be able to hear the beautiful sound of the waves crashing and the tropical birds singing as you're listening to this. So I hope you're having an amazing week. You're about to hear all about how to optimize your body composition. My guest is Akash Vagela. He is a best-selling author, entrepreneur, and coach, and he has over 12 years experience in the health and fitness industry. He founded his company, R&T Fitness, in 2017, and it's become one of the leading worldwide online body transformation programs for high performers. And he's now impacted over 3,000 lives in 25 plus countries. His big vision is to see a world transformed one life-changing journey at a time. What I love about our conversation is he talks about how to make it sustainable. And it's all, it's kind of one thing, I guess, to get into amazing shape, which many people have done at some point in their life. It's another thing to get into the kind of health and fitness that you can maintain as a lifestyle. And we talk about the differences between those two things. We talk about how to make food tasty while you're doing this as well, and the mindset changes alongside. One thing we also talk about that both Akash and I have are slightly differing views and we didn't have time to go into on this podcast is soy and whether that is or isn't a good source of protein. We have quite differing views on this and to give you a kind of very balanced view on soy, because I know it's actually something on many people's mind, I will be releasing a separate podcast interview all about that and the farming and the bioavailability of it as a source of protein so that you can make your own decisions. So stay tuned for that. But for now, let me introduce you to Akash Vagela. Hi, Akash. It is so fun to have you here today. I'm really, really uh, looking forward to this because it's been a long time coming in the diary. I went on your show. We met, I think, did we meet at a Daniel Priestley event? I think we did originally. Is that how an we on, An online or, event, yeah. An online event. That was it, not an in-person. And then I had the pleasure of going on your podcast and we've since been trying to get a date in the diary for this. Um, it's taken a bit of time, but welcome. Yeah, it has been a long time coming, but thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, no, it's great timing. It's great timing. I think many people coming back after the summer actually are thinking about body composition. Um, so this is this is well timed. Um, so let's talk about. I mean, I I was saying just offline with you um, earlier, like you flash up a lot on my feed, and your results that you get with clients are nothing short of transformational. Like they're 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 incredible, right? And that must help to transform people's minds as much as their bodies, right? Because it's a completely different image. Um, do you want to, first of all, just introduce what you do and and why you do it? Yeah, so thank you for the kind words. And it is very much a, a transformation that goes beyond just the physical. I have a mantra that says the physical is the vehicle, because I think if you do a physical transformation right, it serves as the vehicle to do things you never thought possible in all areas of your life. And the key word is the physical transformation done right. 
because anyone can go on a, a crazy aggressive diet, but that doesn't really bring the mindset benefits that you get when you do it in a sustainable way, which I'm sure we'll, we'll come on to. Uh, as a little introduction, my name is Akash Vigela. I, um, I run a body composition, body transformation program called uh, RNT Fitness. Um, and we specialize in helping high performers uh, get into the best shape of their life, but most importantly, build a sustainable lifestyle solution to stay in shape for life. Um, and we launched in 2017. We've since helped uh, nearly three and a half thousand people in 26 different countries. Uh, we use a very unique uh, five-phase methodology to help people go through these, these stages of, of losing the weight, most importantly, learning how to keep it off and, and doing the, the behavior, mindset and identity shifts required in order to do so. Awesome. Yeah. And you definitely do that. I mean, I, I've seen, I've seen the results. It's incredible. Um, let's dive into that. So let's talk about, we, you know, people often say the expression, I want to get in the best shape of my life. And uh, you and I were talking earlier about the distinction between being in the best shape of your life and the best shape for life, right? Which is a more sustainable. Can you explain that distinction? I think it's quite an important one. Yeah. So the best shape of your life is, is I would consider that to be at your absolute leanest. Uh, so this is where you see the before and after pictures where you see someone who's gone from overweight or a bit too much body fat to, you know, six pack abs or or whatever it may be. And that's say, I'd say that's the best shape of your life. And in order to get to the best shape of your life, you have to go all in and for a period of time have to do some things which are a bit unsustainable. Uh, but I think that's okay because the longer term game is to find your shape for life. And I think a big differentiation between the two is your shape of your life is an unsustainable place to get to where you challenge yourself mentally and physically to do something you didn't think you could but your shape for life is what i like to think of as a sweet spot where you feel look and perform at your best because when you're um absolutely you know absolutely shredded you're really lean you're probably not going to feel that great uh you're going to be a little bit hungry you're going to be a little bit irritable um you're not going to feel that great and you're probably not going to perform that well you won't be that strong um your energy is going to be a little bit low, but you're doing something to push yourself to, to the absolute extreme. Because when you do push yourself to the extreme, you really have to change the way you live your life. Uh, you change the way you socialize, you change the way you, you approach your relationship with food, uh, alcohol, etc. You have to change a lot of behaviors to get there. Now, I think the trick is when you get there is to safely come out of it and accept there's going to be a little bit of body weight gain, but know that as long as you're within, say, 5 to 10% of your shape, of your life, you're going to be in what I call the sweet spot. And this is where you feel amazing. Your energy is buzzing. You're performing really well at work. Your cognitive function is really high. You still look good, but you're not as good as you were before. And this is something we were talking about before where you say, I feel like I've got a little bit of, I feel like a few kilos or, and I feel like that as well. I've got a few kilos to lose if I wanted to. Um, but I know I don't, I don't, I don't want to lose that weight because if I did, I would be in that position of not feeling great, not performing our best. But where I am now is that magical sort of magical little sweet spot. And that's why I think there's a difference between your shape of your life to shape for life. Um, and if you can accept that difference, then you can really get the benefits of health and fitness. And I think when you don't accept it, that's where I think you either develop eating disorders, you have you struggle with relationships with food because you're trying to hang on to a really lean position that doesn't feel good. Alternatively, if you don't realize that there is a shape for life, you may rebound and go way past it. Um, and that's where you end up in the yo-yo dieting circle. And what would this different difference be? Like what's considered to be sustainable? Like obviously some of that comes down, right, to physical activity levels, right? So if we yep. look at professional footballers, for example, they are 
very low body fat, right? They're probably one of the lowest. Um, and but they're then they're also doing an in, incredible amount of uh, exercise, right? Particularly uh, with all the matches and everything um, uh, throughout their their training and their playing, and so they kind of it's almost easier i guess at that point to stay lean for the average person who is working and they're doing fitness because they want to be healthy but they also want to really look good yeah for a man and a woman what kind of body fat percentage is that that you consider to be easily maintainable looking really good and then we can talk about what it looks like to be kind of in ultimate shape separately i think for for men it could be anywhere between 10 and 15% uh, depending on the sacrifices you want to make or the lifestyle that you want to live. Um, the lifestyle you want to live is probably a better way than uh, better way than sacrifice. And for women, it's probably anywhere between, I'd say, 18 to 25%. And I give a, I give ranges on that because it really does depend on how you want to live your lifestyle. So I think the thing to ask yourself once you've gone through the process of of stripping away the body fat is, you know, how many, how many steps do you want to do a day that you can commit to? How many... Uh, training sessions you want to do a week well, you know, what feels realistic because on the way down you may have committed to doing five six sessions a week but that doesn't feel like something you can do for the rest of your life if you're if you're juggling kids a career and a social life so maybe you can commit to three sessions a week go for a couple of walks a day um, you want to have a few few days out a week in restaurants you want to have a glass of wine on a friday night that might form as part of the lifestyle you want to live but if that's the case you may need to accept that you may not be as lean um, and I think the key word is uh, control. So, so long as you're in control of all these uh, different elements of your lifestyle, then um, what you dictate as your shape for life will be very, firstly, will be very individual, but secondly, will feel very natural and effortless. And it should feel effortless. That's the key. You shouldn't be overly focused on food. You shouldn't be overly focused on the scale because you should feel, look and, and perform really, really well. So it really does depend on the lifestyle choices that you want to have um, and dictate at the same time, you still have to, that's not an excuse to be like, all right, I don't actually want to do any um, training. I don't want to, I want to eat every, every day. All that's going to lead to is uh, a slow reversion back to the norm. And then you're not healthy, you're not fit, and, and you're just making excuses for yourself. Yeah, very good point. Let's talk about the um, training. First of all, what do people, let's, uh, what do people need to do when they want to be lean? So I think, um, a lot of this obviously being the high performance health podcast, a lot of people are into health optimization and high performance. So we're looking, I find most of the individuals I work with are what we would call body recomposition. So they don't have tons and tons and tons of weight to lose, uh, which is a very different approach, right? Um, often it will be about, I need to, or I feel I would like to lose some body fat. And I'd also like to gain some lean mass at the same time. What would that look like in terms of their weekly training volume and split between, you mentioned their step count between cardio, aerobic activity and strength training? I'd say for, for these people, um, you can't go wrong with three to four resistance training sessions a week, um, one to three cardio sessions a week, and then a general step count of anywhere between eight and eight and 12,000 steps a day. And I give ranges there because it'll depend on how much you can commit to. If you're talking bare minimums, I'd say three strength trainings, maybe one to two cardios and 8,000 steps a day. So it doesn't sound like too much. And the reason why Is I like... 8,000 steps on top of the aerobic training or inclusive of? Yeah, so some people like differentiate on this of like, you know, should it count, should it not count? Yeah. I think in the grand... I think if you're, if you're really trying to be um, 1% 
down on the one percent and, and be aggressive on the on the way down of weight loss, then you may want to not count it in your aerobic. Overall lifestyle management and just general long long term, I don't think it's going to matter too much. Um, so I wouldn't worry about it. Uh, I personally don't don't really differentiate. But if I was being very specific with someone, I would I would make that differentiation. I think cardio is important for for more reasons than just than just calorie burning, though. I think it's really good for your health, your heart health, overall cardiovascular um, system and, and operation. So I think keeping cardiovascular uh, working year round is, is something really good and something I've made a mistake in the past of neglecting it and using it only when I was trying to lose weight as opposed to you know keeping it in year round. And I found a lot of benefits, especially in the last two years. Of, of having some form in one to three times a week mm. and what do you what do you do do you tend to focus more on sort of zone two work or do you do high intensity interval training or do you mix it up i i personally do quite a lot of different things because my focus has shifted in the last year from bodybuilding to my Thai training and running so around november last year i started uh, i started my tie uh, which is a martial art and i got addicted to it right away and uh, as a result of it, I started running because apparently if you do my tie, you have to run. So I started running, okay. fell in love with that as well. So now I do a mix of different um, zone trainings. I'll do some steady uh, zone two stuff for, for running. I'll do some faster runs, uh, like 5K really hard. And then my tie is very like explosive and almost like a high intensity. I think varying up is is really good. Um, I don't think there's, there's anything wrong with it. You probably want to avoid too much intensity work just for the average person um but but i like i like the mix of it let's talk about nutrition right because uh there's that old expression isn't it that abs are made in the kitchen not in the gym um what do you advise your clients in terms of dialing in their nutrition when they're looking to get these body composition benefits uh i think i think nutrition is the biggest reason why people don't achieve their body composition roles i think a lot of a lot of people we work with and it's maybe similar to you is training doesn't seem to be too much of an issue. I think most people enjoy some form of training or activity. It's, it's really the nutrition and um, the social events, the restaurants, the, the late night snacking, the stress snacking, emotional eating, especially those last two are the biggest problems that, that people have to battle in order to get their body composition results. I like to keep it very simple though. Um, do you want macro amounts and things like that or? Yeah, go for it. How granular yeah. do you want to go? So if your if your goal is weight loss, I think you can set your calories up at around ten to twelve uh, calories per pound. So work your body weight out in pounds, multiply by ten to twelve, and that'll give you a calorie amount. And then you can set your protein at around zero point eight to one gram per pound. Um, you probably need as much as you may think you do, but zero point eight to one gram per pound. And those are the main two things you want to hit. And then you can set your fat at around 0. 0.4, um, 0. 0.4 grams per pound. And then the remainder, you can just fill with carbohydrates. I think most people do best just focusing on their total calories and their protein. And then if they want to be really specific, they can dial in their fats and carbs. Um, if, if that's the level of detail they want to approach. Mm. But really, I think you need to get a hold of emotional eating and stress eating. as I think those are the two biggest reasons people fall off their diet. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so you're saying that this is this is for weight loss, right? This is not for maintenance. So if you're looking at... 10 to 12 calories per pound of body weight that would be quite if I was to look at my own body weight that would be significantly reducing what I currently eat for sure yeah so that would be quite um aggressive weight loss I was going to say that's quite an aggressive target for me because I think that would be having look at it going below my basal metabolic rate 
Yeah, so that'd be quite aggressive weight loss, for, but it'd be some, for someone who's probably coming from a, a more beginner background because you're quite advanced and you've you've built up your metabolism, you've uh, you've been training for a long time, you probably maintain on a decent amount of calories. Your first starting point would probably be, all right, whatever, let's say you average 2,000 calories to maintain your body weight, maybe you start at 1,600 as an example. That would be the way I'd approach it for someone like yourself who knows what their their baseline is, who has a maintenance already, um, but if you're coming from an unhealthy background, that's a really good way to start. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and if you've got a lot of fat to lose, right? And if you've got um, a lot of fat to lose. Yeah, yeah. 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 So if you've got less fat to lose, you could probably start at maybe uh, 13 to 14 times pound, uh, times body weight per pounds. You mentioned there, I mean, those are always the two places I start in terms of like overall energy and protein. And then you said, if you really want to start dialing it in, then you can look at the fats versus the carbs. Um, let's explore that because obviously it's actually quite difficult. I think people fear carbs because they think I'm going to get fat if I eat carbs. <laughs> this is that's the whole thing, right? Because of the low carb and keto and all this. When in reality, it's very difficult to turn a carb into fat, into body fat. Um, whereas fats themselves are actually quite easy to store. But again, you've got to be in some form of surplus. How do you uh, apportion the macros in terms of fats versus carbs and do you cycle carbs in and around training to support energy levels how do you approach that to make sure that we're still maintaining good adrenal function thyroid function yeah so i think um you want to have a baseline minimal uh, of fats you don't want to go too low on fats that's the one to be to be careful of just because of what you just said like baseline adrenal function hormonal health um so i like to keep that as a bare minimum of 20 percent of your total calories if you can um maybe up to 30%, but you you don't want to, you want to be careful of going any lower. And if you do, you want it to be only for periods of two weeks. And so you may want to use periods of aggressive, for aggressive weight loss, you can go, right, I'm just going to pull the fats even lower, but I wouldn't do it any for any longer, but just because of that hormonal risk. Um, and in terms of carbs, you've got nothing to fear because as you mentioned, unless you're in a surplus, body fat storage is going to be very difficult. Remember, there's no, there's no fat. One of my team always says there's no fattening foods, only fattening amounts. So it's just got to be really careful of like how much you actually eat. Uh, so when it comes to to carbohydrates, I, I love carbs. I think it's it's great for for overall performance, great for cognitive function. And I try and keep as many carbs as you can uh, as you do diet because it will help with training intensity and as a result, improve your body composition. If you are someone who likes um, carb cycling, I think that's something you can try. I personally don't because uh, it requires more thinking and I'd rather not have to worry about how many carbs I have one day how many carbs I'm going to have the other day. I keep thinking, I try and keep it as simple as possible because I found having done all these things over the years, how little difference it actually makes um, when there are bigger rocks and bigger fish to fry, which for our audience is probably around stress management. It's probably around getting better sleep. If I can get those two things right, I'm going to feel much better than if I had 150 grams of carbs one day, 125 the next mm -hmm. day, 100 grams the third day. Those little minutia things, the stress it creates and the amount of time you have to think about planning it and preparing those meals differently, I just don't think it's worth it. If you listen to this podcast, you're probably like me. You want to have high energy every day to achieve everything you want to, while also protecting your health span and longevity. And for the last six months, I've been taking a supplement called NAD Regen by Biostat Labs. Not only does it contain a powerful combination of niacinamide, NAD3 and resveratrol, which support NAD, also known as the molecule of youth, it has spermidine in it. And spermidine helps inhibit many of the hallmarks of aging. It also supports better cognition, improved memory, heart health and circadian rhythm. 
And I'll tell you what I've noticed since taking NAD Regen is consistently high energy, which is a huge bonus, given that I'm always juggling the demands of running both my businesses alongside my kids and all of their activities and my daily workouts. And I've also noticed a lot of new hair growth, which is common with spermidine. The beauty benefits are, of course, always welcome. So after experiencing all these benefits, I wanted you to experience similar ones. And so I've arranged a very special offer with our sponsors, Biostat Labs. When you buy two bottles of NAD Regen, Biostat Labs are giving listeners of this show a free bottle of GD-Aid, their glucose supplement that contains the very best ingredients for all-round metabolic health. I take NAD Regen in the morning in a fastest state before my workout to amplify the autophagy boosting effects and then GDA just before my most carb heavy meal of the day to blunt the glucose spike. To get your free bottle of GDA and all the energy and health promoting benefits of NAD Regen, head over to biostacklabs.com forward slash Angela. And when you purchase two bottles of NAD Regen, Biostat Labs will send you a free bottle of GDA. That's biostatlabs.com forward slash Angela to get your exclusive offer. I'm inviting you to join our newly opened High Performance Health Facebook group, where we're all about unlocking our utmost potential. If you are a fellow biohacker, a coach, or a woman with an entrepreneurial spirit looking for peak performance, then our community of ambitious women is just for you. But it's not just about connecting with like-minded women. It's about empowering each other. We have weekly live training, Q&As, and a bunch of other exclusive content that I don't get the chance to share anywhere else. New biohacks I'm exploring, plus extra nuggets of wisdom from my podcast guests and so much more. It's free to join. Simply click the top link in the show notes or go to angelafoster.me forward slash HP. That's angelafoster.me forward slash HPH or click the top link in the show notes. And once inside, send me a message so we can connect personally. I can't wait to see you there. You mentioned there obviously about going like low fat for a period if people are looking to aggressively lose weight and the dangers, the sort of risks associated with it. What about people who commonly actually just keep their fats higher? So they might be on like, you know, 25, 30% protein, but then they're kind of going up to say 40%, 45% fats and the rest carbs. Do you find a difference in the body composition results you get if they are keeping more within that 20 to 30% fat and more carbs versus higher fat with lower carbs? I think it's a very individual um, thing of how people function on lower calories. So I know some people that will go lower calories, but they prefer higher fats. And some people that prefer higher carbs, I'm more of a higher carb guy. I I prefer um, putting fats as low as I can whilst maintaining hormone function, keeping my carbs higher, and then just pulling the carbs down as I go along. And then when I've when I've rinsed that out, then I'll look at if I need to pull fats more. But I know others who will keep their carbs pretty low, um, not not keto, but just keep them pretty low, and um, prefer to have higher fats and, and use that as their calorie uh, reduction method. So it really depends on how you feel. I find for them for the for the most people that we work with, uh, a more balanced approach just seems to work best. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if it's from a meal preparation strategy because, you know, having meals with just protein and fat only, satiation-wise may not be that great. You know, you don't see that much volume on your food, uh, on your plate. So for me, I think staying away from the extremes is is probably the best thing to do. Probably better. Sounds um, a bit boring, I know. but huh? 
Sounds a bit boring, but I, I think it, I think the thing is, it's always a balance, isn't it, between satiety and obviously understanding that fats can make you feel satiated, but they tend to be more delicious when they are coupled with a carb, which is where you're then at yeah. most risk of overeating, right? Bread on its own, I'm not advocating bread, but if you think about a really nice piece of sourdough, it's lovely, uh, but it really doesn't match what it tastes like when until you smash avocado on top. Oh, or put some kind of butter, right? <laughs> then, then it changes the dynamic. Whereas if you have the fat again on its own, it's not quite so satiating or exciting, right? We've kind of wired in a way to combine fats and carbs for kind of that those elevated feelings of enjoyment. I think the best thing people can do for satiety is follow a predominantly plant-based diet. Because when you take the plant-based approach, you're naturally going to have very high volume, uh, nutrient dense, uh, low nutrient, um, so high volume nutrient dense foods on your plate and mm. your plate is just going to look massive. Like I turned vegan uh, on January the 1st, 2022. I haven't looked back since. And I did a, um, I did a photo shoot last year where I got into the best shape. I beat all my previous bodybuilding conditions on a vegan diet. And not to say that the vegan diet was any different, but one thing I did notice that was different to all previous diets was I, my satiety was always better because I was just so focused on eating so many plants that my my plate was never small. It was always a lot. Even when I was right at the end, uh, where I was only on like say 12, 1300 calories, which is very low, but I was going for an extreme level that most would don't need to go to. Um, and I remember my plate being full. And I was thinking, oh, this is quite nice. You know, even though um uh, on a normal diet where I was used to eat just chicken, rice, and vegetables, I'd be down to like little bits of baby food. At this point, I was still still having a, a big plate. So I think I'm following a probably plant-based diet. Uh, and then whether you add meat or fish on top is up to whatever your preferences are. Is a really good way to to hack that? So tell me, because this is a question I get asked a lot uh, by listeners and um, uh, social media followers and things. Tell me what enough protein looks like on your diet. Can we can we have a run through or as a vegan? Um, what like what would a day uh, look like for you? Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Yeah, so my breakfast is uh, protein oats. So I have oats with protein powder, some peanut butter, banana, and dark chocolate. That's my uh, first meal of the day. Second meal is scrambled tofu with uh, sourdough and avocado uh, and vegetables. Um, yeah, that's my that's my lunch. And then my dinner is tempeh, uh, lentils or beans, and lots of veggies, and then some sort of carb source, usually rice or some homemade naan or whatever it may be. And that, that's pretty much it. And I end okay. up getting around maybe 140, 150 grams of protein from that. And I'm, I'm, my body weight is maybe 175 pounds. So I, I get around 0.8 okay. grams per pound. Yeah. Um. Okay. And do you eat pretty much the same things every day to make it easy or? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty boring with my meals. Um, I, I eat the <laughs> this same. is the thing, right? Because some people like diversity and I think this is where it gets a bit more complicated. Diversity is great. And uh, if my wife is cooking different meals, I'm like, yeah, great. Cook, um, you know, go for it. But if it was up to my myself, then I just eat pretty much the same thing, mainly because I don't want to waste time thinking about it. I don't want to waste time preparing it. My priorities are my business and uh, my, my fitness and my family. It's not what food I eat. So I don't really have... Um, exquisite taste but my my food tastes amazing so each of my meals mm. tastes amazing i think that's the key thing is getting to the point where you can eat the same thing each day your meals need to be amazing so each of my meals taste incredible like i love each one of them and i've just spent time refining what they are 
So once you do go through the trial and error process of what your meals are, which make you feel good, they satiate you, you don't have any digestive issues, you don't get any brain fog, um, all those things, then it's great to have the same thing to each day. And then I get variety with you know different meals if I'm going out, et cetera. Uh, but I think variety is overrated, especially for your breakfast and your lunch. Like, There's usually the times where you're focused on work, you, you know, you're, you're with the kids or, or whatever it may be. The last thing you want to do is think, oh, should, I made that yesterday now. Should I make something else today? Think about the ingredients, the time, the cooking. And I think for me, that, that trade-off's not worth it. But for others, I know I know other people that um, eat different things you know, each day, seven days a week, and that works great for them. Most people, if they're honest, are rotating, though, at least on a two-weekly basis, their meal plans. Like, it's not well, it's rare I, that you eat a different meal every day for a month at every meal, if you see what I mean. Well, so I think there's some interesting research on this of like before you go on a before you take this approach, most people are already eating around mm. the same 10 to 15 foods exactly. uh, a week. But when you say to them, oh, I eat the same food each day, then it's like, no, no, I want variety. So like you're not actually having much variety anyway. You're probably already having <laughs> cornflakes for breakfast every day. You're having pasta and sandwich, whatever, for lunch. And then you're having the same risotto each night, like whatever it may be. But when you're told to do it, it's, it's a different thing. Yeah, it's very true. Um Tell me how you make oats with dark chocolate, peanut butter, and protein powder tasty. Because to be honest, when I've used a protein powder, which I'm guessing is a plant-based, quite yeah. grainy protein powder, how does uh, that mix in to taste nice? So I use a soy, um, a soy and pea version. I rotate between two. And uh, yeah, I just mix up the, I put it in the, put the oats in the pot. I put the protein powder in the pot add the water, add a bit of uh, soy milk, sorry, oat milk, and then I just mix it up. And to, I, again, I've found a protein powder that I like that tastes good. Um, so once you've done that, then it's just a case of mixing it up. And then afterwards, I sprinkle the dark chocolate on top. I sprinkle the, the peanut butter on top. It's incredible. It tastes like a dessert every morning. <laughs> it makes me feel good. Keeps me satiated till about one o'clock. Right. And uh, I'm good to go. Mm. So again, the trick and is you to can find do this with pre. Like. I'm not. I'm not a big fan. Of, I guess my thing would be I'm not a fan of soy, but um, you can do this with pea Why protein. Is that? I think soy is just so heavily monocrop farmed. Um, it's kind of. I feel like it should be fermented. I think the way it should be eaten. Um, yeah, I kind of. I think um, pea protein isolate is good. Um, so, so soy is actually one of the best. Um, I, I used to think soy was, you know, soy is bad, soy is bad for your hormones, all these things. And there's no research really to prove it. And all, soy is actually an amazing food. And I've had spoken to many doctors about the, the, the power of soy to transform so many um, aspects of your health. So I don't want to turn this into a soy preaching. Yeah, I or think, vegan I think preaching we're, we're going to be on element. opposite sides on the soy. But I think, I think it's worth, yeah. I can send some stuff after. I think it'll be worth, mm. you'll find it no, really No, I have, true. I have, uh, yeah. You Happy to have a look. I have, I've looked into it quite a lot myself. And uh, I think that, I think also from a farming perspective, soy, but that goes beyond the topic of this conversation anyways. Um, but yeah, it sounds delicious when you put the dark chocolate and everything um, on top. You were talking about um, the reason that you work with clients for a year is really because you want to um, make sure that they get their results and then they maintain the results. And I think this is the biggest thing, right? I think this is a really important point because so many people do, they get there, right? There's how many people have been on a diet or been on a fitness regime? They've had great results, but they don't hold on to those results. What do you think is the biggest block from someone who's got success actually holding on to that success? Uh, changing their identity around around themselves 
um, and changing, rewiring their behavior and mindset. I think anyone can can go on a restricted period of, of dieting and get into the best shape of their life. I think very few can actually keep it off because they re- they forget to realize that the point isn't to get in shape. The point is to figure out how to stay in shape. Mm. But to stay in shape, you have to rewire the identity of who you were. So most people going into a diet are, are, are typically someone who eats out very regularly, eats junk very regularly, emotionally eats, stress eats, has five pints when they go out to the pub. Um, that's just become part of who they were as a result of gaining all that weight. When you um, When you lose the weight, you're in this weird sort of crisis where your brain still thinks like a night, let's say you're 90 kilos and you've gone down to 60. Your brain still thinks of you uh, as a 90 kilo person, but your body is 60 kilos. So when you go out to the pub after this period of restriction and you're with your friends, the natural, the, the, the obvious thing to do is to have the 10 pints that you're, you're used to doing. The new thing to do is to have one and call it a night, but you have to do that enough times to rewire the identity to now be in this new body. And I think what people end up doing is, is just they they go on this diet, they hit their goal, and then they just go back to their old way of living. And that old way of living is so easy for them to live. Uh, and then you just have a slow reversion back to the norm. Whereas I think the difficult thing is when you finish a diet and now you don't have that prize of a photo shoot or a deadline or my program finishes or whatever it is, and that prize has disappeared, suddenly you're in this place where you don't have any goals, but you've got to figure out how to stay in shape. So, you, you know, you may be late night at the sofa on the, on your sofa when you have had this goal, it was like, nah, not everything's off the table, but you don't have a goal. It's like, oh, I'll have a cookie. I'll have another cookie. And then you just, you know, you go back to your old way of living. I think that's the really difficult thing that, that people have. And, and the reason why we promote a longer term program is to give the accountability to drive that, that drive that identity change and drill it home. And it's very difficult, but it's something that, I've just seen too many horror stories to be okay with people just leaving or us not supporting beyond um, beyond what we call the checkpoint. And we've 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 changed the terminology within our program from like the deadline or the, the moment you're in the shape of your life to your checkpoint because it's a checkpoint in the journey and, and it's really it's the end of the beginning, so to speak. It's like the beginning bit's over, the easy bit's done. Now it's like, right, I need to now figure out how do I stay in good shape whilst living my life, balancing kids, having work, uh, and not feeling like I'm on a diet. And that's really difficult. And a lot of it is just an identity change. Like I, I can bet for you, you don't think about training. You don't think about, oh, should I eat a good meal today or should I eat a bad meal? You, It's just so hardwired in you mm. that you you plan these the training sessions in. Yeah. You, you, you naturally get drawn to meals with the protein on a plate. Um, it's just these things that you just do without even thinking about it. But for someone who's quite new, it's so foreign, this whole concept, because you spent decades of bad habits, spent decades of just doing things, you know, wrong. Um, so when you finally live life in full color of a healthy and fit lifestyle, it's the, the key thing is I had to keep that, that keep that full color and go, avoid going back into black and white. But it's just mm-hmm. so easy to do that without the right uh, accountability. Yeah, totally agree. And without the right, right reprogramming, right? Because you go yeah. back to that old hardwired identity. I think the thing is as well, when you repeat a behavior enough times, you crave what you repeatedly do. So if you are in a stage of working out, you will crave workouts. But if you miss even, it's so easy to fall out of it, right? If you miss workouts for five days, four or five days a week, actually you can already begin to feel that little bit lazier. And then you don't, you start to crave 
it starts to feel effortful, right, to go and work out. Mm. Whereas for me, I found that just by saying that I move my body every day, right, it's just a commitment in one form or another. And that's not always an intense workout because that would be crazy, right? You need recovery and that's when you grow and all of those things. But it means I don't, a bit like the food you were saying, you don't have to have loads of different meals that you're thinking about. I don't have to think about will I, will I engage in some form of exercise today? because it's simple. But I also think for me, the mindset results and the the actual order it creates in my brain and the motivation and the high kind of levels of things like dopamine, the payoff is so great in terms of that time invested when I work out in the morning that I mm. miss that productivity and performance if I don't. And for high performers, isn't it? I think it's, it's, it's one of the most underrated hacks for high performance mm. and and just general productivity because i think it's a it's a big paradox when you're when you're busy with work and and, and just life of like oh, i've got to make time to train i've got to make time to do all this meal prepping but it's um it's interesting how much time it creates in your day because you just do things quicker you do things more efficiently and some of your best thinking will come during your training sessions and i think one of my sure. favorite things to do is to spend at least 30 minutes unplugged so whether that's a walk or my training or my running i'll try and do um, most of it unplugged so then I get that time to you know sort the mess out in my head and get that level of clarity that I need to be at my best for my family and for, for the business mm. yeah I totally agree that's where the notes app on my phone becomes so that's crazy <laughs> yeah but then you actually sometimes I can I, sometimes actually I will have so many kind of breakthrough ideas during a workout that I have to be careful that I'm now not impacting the power of that workout, if you see what I mean, because yeah, yeah you can like just, it can turn into almost a brainstorming session. What so. you described by the way before was um, what I call a death by a thousand cuts. It's where you go from, um, you know, you miss one gym session, mm. then you miss two, then all of a sudden you miss the week. And then it just becomes this frog that you're, it just gets bigger and bigger and mm. bigger and bigger. And it's just, it just gets so overwhelming. It's like, I don't want to, I just don't, I'm just not going to do it anymore. Or like you go from one dark chocolate square to two to three or one cookie to three. You know, it just happens so slowly. Creeps. You don't even realize. It's creep, it isn't it? creeps, yeah. And the next thing you know, oh, my jeans are feeling a bit tired. Oh, oh that is that is that me in the picture? I thought I looked, you know, I thought I looked like that. Um, I thought I looked like something else. And, it, it, and until that trigger moment happens, you don't even realize. Um and I think that's where that's the most dangerous one. I think it's not the the drastic immediate rebounds. It's the one that happens over twelve months without realizing um, that you've gained that you gained the weight back or you gain more weight. One hundred percent. And alcohol is a very easy one with that. Mm. I just have one glass, but then it kind of turns into a glass and a half or two, and then yeah. it just it, it is that creep, right? Because you're you're resetting your level. So as you said, right, it might be one chocolate afternoon, but now it's two, uh, and then oh. And then you're there and you kind of like, yeah, it's hard. It's, it's it's hard because it isn't noticeable because you didn't suddenly go one day from eating one treat after dinner to five. That didn't happen. No. Uh, and it's recognizing that all things like that, right? Well, high performers, I think, really struggle with this, especially with like evening stuff, because a lot of high performers need that outlet. Mm. And if they haven't got training there, their outlet ends up becoming like that glass of wine uh, or whatever the stress relief is for them. Mm. I think a lot of that I've noticed um, comes down to not having enough micro recoveries within the day because your brain will just crave and it will move you into a state because a lot of people as well, the high performers will not give themselves permission to do nothing. And so they need to create something that then enables them to have permission to do it. Right. So all of a sudden, like I don't drink anymore, but when I did drink, 
alcohol. It was an amazing way of giving me permission to wind down because once I'd had that glass of wine, I didn't want to work anymore, right? I didn't, and I and I am kind of, it's something I've always struggled with from my days as a corporate lawyer. Like it's, it's an easy addiction for me to become a workaholic. Mm. And so I have to step away and be disciplined around that because I know that without recovery, I don't perform as well. And so something like a glass of wine or something that's carb heavy moves your brain into a state where now you feel, you know, it's like people refer to a carb coma, right? You feel like it's okay now to do it. But then afterwards, you can be quite regretful around what you did. So it's really difficult. And I think a lot of that is down to managing your nervous system Mm. across the day and the evening so that you value that time as well. And you have that psychological detachment from work. It's really important without turning to something that's going to facilitate it. Yeah, very difficult. (laughs) (laughs) that means you you feel kind of the same way do you yes ongoing struggle ongoing Mm, struggle because any battle any battle with guilt then it's like oh i should i should be doing should be doing this should be doing that and it's it's very difficult and that's why i try and force myself into these unplugged states of you know when you're running and you're unplugged you can't really do anything i can't even take notes uh so it just just forces me to, to just take time off um and I think that's, if you can find those things, like we could be swimming for some, for me also, my tie serves as that when I do, when I'm in the ring for an hour, I can't think about anything else. I'm just in the void. And and that time is is very, very precious for, and if, if anyone can find that their thing, I think it's, it's the best thing you can, you can find to keep yourself stable for longer mm. and be in this game for longer. Mm. Yeah. And I think it gives you the opportunity, right, to do really deep work when you're doing it, as opposed to being in a kind of permanently distracted state. Yeah. Yeah, very true. Awesome. Where can people find out more about your program um, and everything that you do? Awesome. Yeah. So the website is uh, rntfitness.co.uk. Uh, we have a, a cool free scorecard uh, on, on on the program called, uh, you can go to rntfitness.co.uk forward slash transform. Uh, yeah, we have 40 questions. See if you're ready for a transformation, if you're ready to go through something uh, like that. I have a book called Transform Your Body, Transform Your Life, which is available on Amazon and all bookstores. And uh, I'm on Instagram and socials at, at Akash Fagela. Uh, so just my name uh, across most socials. Awesome. We'll link to it all in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on uh, and sharing. It's amazing. And, uh, you know, everyone listening, go and check out. Akash has some incredible photos just to show. It's a real testament to the results that you get with your clients. Um, and thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. If you enjoy this podcast, visit femalebiohacker.com and be part of a special community of women looking to optimize their mind, body, and spirit. If you're tired of sifting through countless websites and books to find the answers to your questions about nutrition, fitness, hormones, mindset, spirituality, and biohacking, the search is over. I've done the research for you and every week we go live with in-depth masterclasses, Q&A calls and monthly challenges to help you transform your life. And when you join the collective, you'll have access to a wealth of information, including deep dive masterclasses and biohacking toolkits on our members' favorites like metabolic flexibility, gut health, stress and resiliency and stepping into your most empowered self. Get access and be coached by me and my team and level up your health, career and life all for less than a dollar a day. Go to femalebiohacker.com or click the link below to get started and I'll see you on the inside.